This episode is brought to you by Reality Sports Online. Stick around. Later in the episode, we'll tell you how to get 10% off your site fee in 2023. Welcome to the IDP Show. I'm your host for the day, Evan Ronda, contributor for Football Guys and host of the IDP Game Theory Podcast, and I am joined in the virtual show check for the first and certainly not the last time by the wonderful Jake Colhagen. Jake, how you doing, man? Evan, I I don't think I could be better. Like like I said earlier, talking football hanging out with you. I just working on some stuff for reality sports online here, doing the reality check. Heck yeah. Couldn't, couldn't picture a better day. It's going to be a blast. On today's episode, we are going to be breaking down the top 24 defensive linemen this season, according to big three scoring and asking a very philosophical question. Were they real or was it all just in our imagination? What do we expect from these players going forward? And what are some takeaways that we can make from their season so far? So, Jake, unless there's anything you want to add, I say we just jump right in. What do you think? Let's get to it. Let's let's start at number 24. Who do we got? Awesome. So number 24 is Dietrich Wise Jr., the defensive end from the Patriots. Now, he had 33 solo tackles, 26 assisted tackles, seven and a half sacks, seven tackles for loss, three pass breakups, and two forced fumbles. Now on the PFF side of things, because here at the IDP show, we believe that PFF is real, just like pressures. And sometimes good players succeed and bad players lose their jobs. So that's an important note to note going forward in this episode, but let's see how his grades stacked up. He had a 74.9 overall defense grade, a 59.7 run defense grade, a 56.4 tackle grade, a 76.4 pass rush grade, and a 63.2 coverage grade. Not that that is very important for a defensive lineman, but we'll still be mentioning it so far for the rest of the episode. He played 73 snaps over 17 games this season and scored 8.6 points per game again in big three scoring. Now, Jake, you've got some more of the big brain stats kind of things. So I'm going to throw it over to you and go ahead and share with the listeners some more interesting predictive statistics. Sure, absolutely. So when I look at defensive linemen, uh, there's four things I always kind of like to break it down to help me get a better assessment of everything um, outside of, you know, just those box score statistics, which obviously matter. It's why we play IDP. Uh, But looking at uh, what Dietrich did this year, he had an 11.3% pass rush pressure rate. So that's for every pass rush snap he took, what was the likelihood that he was able to actually produce a pressure, right? So in this case, about one out of every nine times he was creating a pressure, which led to 56 pressures overall, which left him 22nd among all defensive linemen defensive linemen for the season, uh, played a total of 828 snaps, 28th among defensive linemen. And then when it comes to that actual production, uh, I like to really break it down and look at, you know, per snap, what is the production that he is giving you for IDP scoring. 
Uh, and Dietrich Wise came in at a respectable 0.18 points per snap. So, right, every 10 snaps, he's giving you 1.8 points uh, on, on average. So, a really, really great season for Dietrich Wise, someone who I didn't see coming in in this top 24 at the start of the year, but here we are. And I don't think you were alone in that either, because when I reference the ADPs of the six best ball drafts that were done by the staff and friends here at the IDP show, in all six of those best ball drafts that were done anywhere between right after the NFL draft all the way up to the start of the season, he actually was undrafted in every single one. And these drafts went pretty deep, almost as deep as about 150 defensive linemen taken. So that's pretty significant considering the spread of people that participated in these drafts. He came out of the blue, pretty surprising. Now, I also want to mention contract situation because I believe it is very important in dynasty leagues for managers to be aware of these defensive players' contracts. And so all of this information is from Spotrack.com, and they say they have a potential out in 2023. And so that would be this upcoming season, this offseason. There is a chance, for whatever reason, that Spotrack believes uh, the, the Patriots could save some money by cutting him. He is an unrestricted free agent in 2025, and he is 28 years old. I do also want to add, before you share your final thoughts here, Jake, uh, his, his game log, this is quite a nasty log. He is a highly volatile asset, as I'm sure you will cover when it comes to Belichick defenders. But he only had, according to Big 3 scoring, he only had four games over 10 points, if I'm not counting Week 18. He scored 14.95 points in week one, 41.2 points in week two, 18.75 points in week six, and 22.45 points in week 11. Every other week, if you were to combine all those weeks together and average it out, it would probably look a little bit more like three and a half points. So I wonder if this number 24 finish might be propped up by a couple spike weeks. What say you, Jake? I say you're probably onto something there, Evan. And, you know, going forward, Judon is a clear number one in that defense. uh, And I don't think anyone would ever question that. But, you know, you talk about Spike Weeks. um, There was another player, another edge defender there in New England, and Josh Uche, who was doing a lot of the same stuff. And really, the question boils down to who is the true number two edge rusher out there? You know, is it something where it becomes more of a rotational thing between the two of them or potentially all three of them? Uh, and we t- I think we'll talk about rotational pieces uh, and, and uh, team defensive lines a bit later here as we get into some other teams. But the biggest thing for me, and, and you alluded to it, right, is Bill Belichick and his defense, especially when it comes to IDPs and trying to understand who is the guy, you know, before he's the guy or heck, who's the guy after he's become the guy? is really, really difficult to understand and ascertain fully uh, when looking at uh, a Bill Belichick defense. So for me, Wise is someone, you, you, you sell this big year, you sell the numbers at the end of the year. You know, the points per game was, was respectable at 8.6. He had some splashy games. You know, maybe, maybe you target the guy who, you know, you, your opponent when Wise dropped 35 points and say, remember when he did that? Be on your team doing that. And that's where I'd be looking to say, this, what he did this year isn't real going forward for next year. Not real. You heard it here, folks. Not real. I also wanted to add, you mentioned Josh Uche. 
Fun fact, Josh Uche had twice as many 10-plus point games as Dietrich Wise in big three scoring, that is. So just a little little uh, cherry on top of what you just said there. Let's go ahead and move on to our next guy, Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle for the Titans. Now, he had 29, sorry, 25 solo tackles, 29 assisted tackles, seven and a half sacks, nine tackles for a loss, seven pass breakups, and one forced fumble. On the PFF side of things, he had an 81.1 defense grade, a 73.0 run defense grade, a 49.4 tackle grade, a 79.3 pass rush grade, which is pretty significant, and a 60.4 coverage grade. He played 83% of the snaps over 15 games this season for a 9.78 points per game. All right, Jake, let's hear it from your end. All right, well, then we go ahead and take a look at what he was able to produce in terms of some of those more uh, thorough numbers, we'll call them here. Uh, 9.1% pass rush pressure rate. So a little bit lower than what you'd like to see for someone who would probably be considered one of those elite pass rushing options. Uh, was able to generate 53 pressures out of that on 840 snaps, uh, giving him a total of 1.175 points per snap. So uh, some of those numbers a little less than desirable, especially for, again, someone who's kind of got that bigger name attached to him in Jeffrey Simmons. 53 pressures left him 30th overall among all defensive linemen. Um, but the snaps were, were were strong in terms of being 23rd overall as well. So a little concerning about the pressure numbers, but I think we might be able to live with that. I agree with you there. Now for the contract situation, he is going into his fifth year option as a first round pick, which would make him an unrestricted free agent in 2024. And he's 25, so still plenty of youth for a defensive tackle. Now, as far as ADP goes, again, he finished as the defensive lineman number 23. He was drafted on average as the defensive lineman number 40, but he was only drafted in two of the six leagues. For whatever reason, I think uh, his, his name might have allowed him to fall farther down, but where he was drafted, he was drafted on average as the defensive tackle 40. And honestly, listeners, Hey, this could be uh, this could be human error on my part on the calculation basis because it seems a little strange that he wouldn't be drafted in four of those leagues. But that being said, I also want to throw out there before you give your final thoughts, uh, he is a defensive tackle. Now that's not relevant for some league formats. I know many people that are recently getting their starts with IDP are starting out on Sleeper, and I love Sleeper. Sleeper is great, but there are some other platforms such as RSO, for example that allow you to have more specific positional designation, uh, designations such as defensive tackle and cornerback. And so when you're able to differentiate between edge rushers or defensive ends and defensive tackles, you actually increase the value of these defensive tackles, such as Jeffrey Simmons, almost like you would if you were to separate tight ends from wide receivers on offense. Jeffrey Simmons Right, that pass rush pressure pressure rate. Oh, that is that is pretty hard. That is a pretty hard one to say. You guys, we were talking about this before we even started recording the show. I wanted Jake to be the guy to have to stumble over all those really difficult words to say. And here I am. I'm just I'm just walking on on, on all over them. So uh <laughs> but yeah, these defensive tackles, they become more valuable when you're in a league that has defensive tackle designation. So 
For those of you guys, again, that are a little newer to IDP, very, very relevant information for you. While he might only be the number 23 defensive lineman, he is significantly higher on the defensive tackle only rankings. All right, Jake, let's hear what you have to say. Absolutely. Yeah, I love what you had there, Evan. And I would just add to that, right? You know, you talk about if you have a D tackle required, this guy, Simmons, easily becomes a every week starting option for you. He's, he's top 12 defensive tackle, hands down. But, you know, right now we're looking at a combined list, um, which, you know, you can play that way on RSO as well. And, and the nice thing with RSO, too, that I want to call out that this year they did was they introduced the manual position override. So mm. we're talking about a certain set of people here. Uh, in terms of their production and what they did at defensive ends and defensive tackles. This is based on the base list or position uh, for that person or those players on RSO. But if you want to get in there, you know, and you want to have a Micah Parsons uh, come in as a defensive end, so you you can play him in that defensive line spot where really, based on his alignments and snaps, is more his true position, we might say. Uh, you can go ahead and do that now moving forward on RSO because you will notice some omissions on our list you know, some someone like a Micah Parsons or, you know, well, not this year due to injury, but like a TJ Watt, those types of edge rusher positions uh, that, you know, we wouldn't normally have here based on their, their original uh, player or position designations. So just with that call out quick, so if you're wondering, hey, why am I not hearing this name or that name? Uh, that's the case. However, back to Jeffrey Simmons, I, I, I do love Simmons game, right? When you When you watch him on the field, especially you look back to last year's playoffs when they played the Bengals, the guy is able to just take over a game and dominate, and he can, he can easily win you a week or be the, the big contributing factor to that. So I totally understand people who fall in love with this name and want to have him um, on their rosters and, and are willing to pay up you know, for draft capital or salary cap uh, considerations for the position. But at this point, I would just be a little leery. If you have him, I'd hold him. But you might want to consider maybe moving based on the name, just you know, not trending fully the way we'd like to see. The one thing I will give him credit for is, uh, is he really did step up his tackle uh, game this year. He still had a 49.4 grade, but he only had five missed tackles from last year, where he had over tw uh, 10. He had, I think, 12 total missed tackles. You know, that's a lot of meat left on the bones, um, especially if you play in any scoring format that uh, respects tackles with uh, any level of decency. So um, he's a uh, He's a strong option still out there. I, like I said, hold him if you got him. But if you're really looking to sell, now might be the time. Yeah, I like that. And I, I appreciate you calling out that the ability to change the positional designation. Um, one of the IDP show listener leagues is on Reality Sports Online. And as the commissioner of one of those leagues, I had the pleasure of getting to go in there and adjust some players. And that has been one of the biggest concerns that people have had for these quote-unquote true position leagues right that split them up into cornerback safety linebacker defensive end defensive tackle is oh no you know the the system that tells them what position they are isn't always right and i i'm so grateful that that rso implemented that feature to allow commissioners to come in there and manually decide what position players belong to because that has been really 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 beneficial one last note on the topic, uh, buys and sells, you guys, I don't hate that I have to describe this, but I do believe that it is important to touch on anytime I'm on an episode where we discuss buying and selling and holding, buying and selling and holding is always relative to the market. And so 
if you are buying a player, you are buying a player from somebody. If you are selling a player, you are selling a player to somebody. And if you're holding a player, you're holding them away from somebody. So just be aware that we are making a guesstimate about how the market may value a player. And so like Jake said, Jeffrey Simmons has a big name. He was a first round pick when he was drafted. And ever since he's been in the league, IDP players have had their eyes on him. And so because of that, we are making the generalization that we believe in general, Jeffrey Simmons has a relatively high market value. Now, if you are in a league where people don't value Jeffrey Simmons that highly, then you might not necessarily be in a position to sell him in the same instance that other managers might be. And so it's important to know buying for what, selling for what. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we transition into our next guy here. Number 22 on the list, Brandon Graham, the defensive end from the Eagles. Now this season he had 19 solo tackles, 16 assisted tackles, 11 sacks, 11 tackle for losses, one pass breakup, and two forced fumbles. He had a 89.8 defense grade on PFF, a 71.9 run defense grade, a 55.5 tackle grade, an 89.1 pass rush grade, and a 72.6 coverage grade. Now, he only played 43% of the snaps over 17 games, but he did earn 8.68 points per game. Jake, do you have... Yes, you do. Let's go ahead and throw it off to you here for our more advanced statistics real quick. Absolutely. And, and some of these numbers are going to pop a little bit. And based on the, the things you just read there, a 43% snap count, but still able to put up almost nine points a game. Uh, it's because he was able to you know grab, grab himself a 16.3 pass rush pressure rate um, and generating 48 pressures, 38th overall in the NFL. So out of all defensive linemen, he was the 38th most pressures generated on 474 snaps, which was 140th in the NFL among all defensive linemen. So just let that kind of sink in a bit, right? He did not have a lot of time on the field, but he sure as heck did a lot with it. And then what that correlated to in actual production, 0.311 points per snap. We're talking almost doubles, you know, the first two guys we talked about when they were coming in at 0.18 and 0.175. Um, Hyper-efficient is probably an understatement here at this point. Yeah, seriously. And it's really interesting to note some of those more advanced statistics because they really do tell a bigger story than just simply the box score. Um, it, this really is an efficiency game. Um, before I really break into all those thoughts, let's quickly take a look at his contract situation. So he is an unrestricted free agent this off season. However, he is 34 years old. So he's nearing the end of his career. I don't want to be making any retirement predictions here, but it is important to note that he is a quickly expiring asset. And on average, he was drafted as the 119th defensive lineman by ADP. And that's notable, of course, because he finished significantly higher. And so going back to what you were talking about earlier with that efficiency, and I don't want to step on your toes here because I know that you will be discussing this a little bit, uh, but I do think that is that is quite impressive. Uh, those of you listeners that are familiar with best ball leagues where you get players for the good games and they stay on your bench for the bad ones, this is the archetype of a player that would be you know really, really good to have in a best ball league where 
you don't have to worry about their spike weeks or their down weeks uh, because you just you get them for their good ones and you don't get them for their bad ones. And so it's a challenging situation, right? Uh, we'll talk about the Eagles defensive line in general, uh, but I'll, I'll let you I'll let you kind of cover that kind of stuff because I know you're you're chomping at the bit to, to get into it. So let's let's hear what you have to say about the, the Eagles defensive line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love this, right? I love this whole unit. Um, they've been able to produce a lot, as you'll catch on as we go through the list. And, and heck, their their best one won't even be on the list. And Hassan Reddick, due to that positional designation, he comes in as a linebacker um, initially in RSO. But we're going to talk about pretty much everyone else across that front. The the thing that I I think we see a lot here in, you know, this is kind of more that, that game film less than that analytical side of things. And that's, this is a, a rising tide raises all boats situation. You know, they went ahead and they invested heavily in that defensive line over, over many years, uh, you know, bringing back veterans, you know, investing in it, signing free agents, um, you know, and even when they had that rough game against uh, Washington midseason, I believe it was week nine or eight it was, they went out and they immediately signed, uh, was it Ndamukong Sue and Linval Joseph, if I think it right here. But uh, they immediately brought in help to that defensive line. And actually, you'll see for, um, for Graham here, after, that, after they signed them, 75% of his production in, his, in, in, his, in the sack column for the 11 he totaled came after that point, right? So when they strengthened that unit even more than it already was, Boom. Again, rising tide, raising all boats. Everyone just got better. And that's why we're going to keep talking about Eagles D-line across this entire episode. Um, but for me, I, I, I don't think this is real. I don't think at that efficiency you can expect that. Outliers exist every year. Sometimes there's those special players who produce outlier seasons back-to-back. You think a, a J.J. Watt or a T.J. Watt, you know, in some of their prime efforts. But Brandon Graham isn't that. Um, you know, he's a great best ball option like you talked about. But if you got to set your weekly lineup, I'm not putting him in my roster. Or I'm not trying to at least. So to me, this isn't this isn't a real option for next year. I love it. A rising tide raises all boats. Is there truly a better way to describe this Eagles defensive line situation? They added so much talent. They allowed the players to get rest and be fresh when they got on the field to play their best football. And while they might not have played a high volume of snaps, they were very effective for the snaps they played. And man, did they get a lot of sacks this season. All right, let's go ahead and move on to another team that had a pretty stacked defensive line as well. We'll talk about the number 21 defensive lineman this season, Montez Sweat, the defensive end from the Commanders. Now, he had 27 solo tackles, 18 assisted tackles, 8 sacks, 14 tackle for losses, 4 pass breakups, and in the PFF category had an 86.4 defense grade, a 79.6 run defense grade, a 62.9 tackle grade, a 79.6 pass rush grade, and a 76.5 coverage grade. He played 70% of the team snaps over 17 games and scored 8.82 points per game. All right, Jake, let's hear from you. Yeah, and what did that lead to? It led to 13.8% pass rush pressure rate, creating 62 pressures, which is 14th overall among all D linemen. 
731 snaps, 50th, and you know, producing 0.21 points per snap. So when I'm looking at this, I see a guy who is getting solid baseline in terms of snaps. You know, we talked about that 70% snap count overall, uh, but still top end pressure numbers, right? Doing being able to consistently produce on every pass rush snap. I, I love what we saw there, and I think uh, I think it's going to correlate well to him moving forward. I love it. Now, he is on his fifth-year option currently, and he is an unrestricted free agent in 2024. Now, the Washington Commanders have a lot of guys in their team that they're looking to pay, but I have a feeling Sweat is probably a guy they'll keep around, so I don't expect him to be going anywhere. But he is 26 years old, and it is important to note his contract situation. He is currently in a contract here, and he was drafted as the defensive line 20 in best ball ADP, which is right about where he finished. And I think that pretty much summarizes Montez Sweat in general, which is about what you expected. But let's hear what you have to say about him a little bit more. Yeah, so for me, you know, the the Commanders and the Eagles both appear on this list a lot. Uh, Two NFC East teams that definitely have built uh, their strength in the front of of their defensive unit, and it paid off. I mean... The commanders with very little on the offensive side. Um, no knock to the Heineke jersey hanging in the background there for you, mm-hmm. Evan. I, I, do, I do apologize for that. But they still managed to be a very relevant team throughout the season due to that that defensive front. So um, I really do like the commander's defensive front situation, though, a pretty good amount more than the Eagles, at least moving forward into the future. Now, how long will that last? The salary cap will help us determine that. And if the commanders are able to bring in uh, an actual quarterback that they have to pay some real money to uh, going forward. But that said, I love what sweat that what he did out there and what he was able to produce uh, the way his pressures is trending moving forward for me. He is absolutely a top target for me. And all this to say that he did without Chase Young on the field. So again, if you throw that into the mix for a full time, now health is obviously assumed and hoped for for all the players. but. That's not always the case, but we gotta we gotta assume that it will be there. And with that being the case, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to find me as many shares of sweat as I can. And he's a target for me. And what he did is very real. Um, and I don't think that we've seen his ceiling just yet either. I couldn't have said it any better. I really don't think there's much more that needs to be touched on with Montez Sweat. Just a very solid, reliable asset in redraft and in dynasty. Let's go ahead and move on to our next guy, the number 20 defensive lineman on the year, Sam Hubbard, the defensive end from the Bengals. Now, he earned 34 solo tackles, 26 assisted tackles, six and a half sacks, 11 tackles for loss, three pass breakups. And on the PFF side of things, he had a 70.4 overall defense grade, 74.7 run defense grade, a 44.8 tackle grade a 57.4 pass rush grade, and a 78.2 coverage grade. And he played 82% of snaps over 15 games this season for 10.05 points per game. All right, Jake? So Sam had a wonderful season, uh, 11.5% pass rush pressure rate, generating 56 pressures for 22nd among all defensive linemen on 861 snaps, 21st, uh, and produced a very, very respectable uh, 0.175 points per snap. The the thing I can just always say about Sam Hubbard is 
is he just he falls right in that comfort spot right in the middle he is a he's always able to give you a solid tackle floor he always seems to you know give you a sack or two just at the right time he's never gonna give you 12 sacks in a season he's never gonna you know do anything crazy until well at least until tyler huntley tries to reach over the goal line and the ball falls right in his lap and you just gets the the big man rumbling down the field which i have to say i saw on twitter someone tried to do the math for the the heaviest play uh in, in football history or whatever and it was you know weight times yardage ran or whatever and it came in second that you know whatever, 26,000, whatever the, the number was, the, the relevant to it. So, But you got to love what Sam Hubbard did in that, in that big moment. But all that to say is he's, he's a comfortable DL too. And that's, I think that's where he's always been, and I think that's where he's always going to be. Yeah, I love that. Sam Hubbard is kind of like the vanilla ice cream defensive end. Like he's never going to be the guy that's like, holy smokes, like I might have a new flavor. But if you like vanilla ice cream, you like vanilla ice cream. It's not like it's going to surprise you one day and be disgusting. And so, yeah, like you said, decent tackle floor, moderate, low to moderate sack upside. You know, a couple times a season, he'll surprise you. You know, hey, maybe you'll put some sprinkles on the top of your ice cream this week. You never know. Um, but I do think it is interesting, actually, that he has a 44.8 tackle grid, considering how reliant on tackles he is maybe he had a a high missed tackle rate um maybe that's something i can look up while you are discussing some more thoughts on him but but yeah i mean he is what he is i don't necessarily think too much has changed about him he is a known asset uh and as far as his contract situation goes yeah the bengals have a potential out in 2023 uh, but he's a he's an unrestricted free agent in 2026, so he's under contract for a while. Anytime after this season, technically they could save money by cutting him, but I don't anticipate that happening. And he's only like 27 years old, which for a defensive end veteran is not very old at all. He was drafted as the 27th defensive lineman in ADP and best ball leagues. And yeah, he finished as the 20th guy, so nothing super crazy there. And I'm assuming, actually, now that I think about it, a couple of those defensive linemen uh, include some players that are not on this list because of their linebacker designation on Reality Sports Online. So technically, he finished even higher uh, in ADP than, than what this list says. Uh, but yeah, Sam Hubbard, about what you expected, vanilla ice cream. Does anything more really need to be added there, Jake? No, nah, now you just got me thinking about, like, has anyone ever put vanilla ice cream in front of me? And I've been upset. and. No, I'm not. Like, I'm just like, I'm going to eat this. This is yeah. good. just like if, if someone's like, here, Sam Hubbard's on your IDP roster, I'd be like, okay, that's good. I got a, I got a plug and play DL2. I got, a, you know, a great guy for, for bye weeks too that I'm comfortable with. Like, and that, <laughs> that's about where we're at. So, whenever we discuss these players on the show, I always like to imagine how the player would respond to the way that they're being talked about on the podcast. And I'm just imagining Sam Hubbard, you know, is is on his lawnmower mowing his lawn over in Cincinnati, puts on the IDP show and hears, so yeah, Sam Hubbard, man's just a bowl of vanilla ice cream. Like, how would I feel about that? Would I be upset? Would I be pleased? Would I be pleased? Or would I just be like, okay, I can live with that. I think I'm vanilla ice cream. So Sam, I just want you to know, we love you as a person. Um, 
but you are vanilla ice cream when it comes to fantasy football. Let's go ahead and move on to our next guy, number 19, Dexter Lawrence, the defensive tackle from the Giants. Now, he had 35 solo tackles, 33 assists, seven and a half sacks, seven tackles for a loss, three pass breakups, and two forced fumbles. Now, on the PFF side of things, he had a 92 defense grade, an 82.4 run defense grade, a 53 tackle grade, a 92.5 pass rush grade, and an 80.3 coverage grade. He played 82% of snaps over 16 games or 7.9 points per game. All right, Jake, let's hear it on your end. Yeah, Dexter Lawrence uh, turned in a 12.7 pass rush pressure rate this year with 70 pressures generated for 10th best in the NFL among all defensive linemen this season. Uh, he did that on 915 snaps, so he definitely had you know high level of volume supporting that. Uh, but again, it wasn't just purely a, um, volume that was dictating his success, as you saw in the pass rush pressure rate. Uh, that did finally give him, in the end, it gave him 0.171 points per snap. So a little lower than maybe something you'd like to see for the amount of pressures he got. But if they're going to keep sending him out there for 900 plus snaps in a season, he's going to keep finishing where he is right now and, and, and maybe a little bit more as well if we uh, take a little bit uh, deeper look at those numbers. But where did uh, where's his contract situation end up for him this year? Yeah, he is also heading into his fifth-year option. He's an unrestricted free agent in 2024, but the Giants have so, so much money next year. I'm sure he will find himself with a big burlap sack full of cash at some point in this offseason or in the upcoming year, and he's only 25 years old. What an incredible player Dexter Lawrence is. Um, on what day is today? I believe on on Wednesday morning, actually, NFL, I saw this on Twitter, but I'm sure it's all over the place. NFL Films released a fun little clip of Dexter Lawrence trash talking a couple guys, basically saying, man, why are you why are you holding me? Why are you so scared? You signed up for this. And I found that I just found that really funny. I love those kinds of of videos of just, you know, J.J. Watt. I've eaten burritos bigger than you. Just (laughs) the funniest stuff, the banter that they have on the field. We need more videos of that. Um, Jake, uh, what are your, what are your thoughts here as far as Dexter Lawrence is Dexter Lawrence real or was he all just, uh, was he really just the friends we made along the way? I think, I think he's real, you know, and I think he's going to keep being more real, realer, whatever, whatever the correct, uh, phrasing there would be. Uh, you saw a beautiful jump when he was at about 40 pressures last year. Now to up to the number he was at this season with 70 pressures. I, I love the trend, right? And now you have the the narrative of the the contract year as well. Um, you know, he's getting his first real big payday this season with the the fifth year option. You know, the fully guaranteed money and everything. I think I think things really do tend to kick into overdrive for players when they reach that point. Um, and and the the trend and the tra- tra- the trend and trajectory for him are looking looking uh, just phenomenal. And for me, I'm I'm in. I'm in on the Dexter Lawrence train. Let me. I'm buying a ticket. I'm going to buy a ticket for my kids, the rest of my family, everyone. I want everyone all on board here. Moving forward, 2023, we're we're looking for plenty of shares of Dexter Lawrence, especially considering he's a defensive tackle. So if you got those D tackle requirements, he's plug and play. I'm I'm talking top six next year. 
And yeah, we we're, we're buying this. He's real. Yeah. And I think uh, what's really impressive with Dexter Lawrence is not only his relevance for fantasy football, but the fact that he's really good just in real life. Now, you know, there's a Venn diagram overlap between good for fantasy and good for real life. And there is a decent amount of overlap, but it is important to note those players in the middle because those are the ones that we can most rely on. There are some players that are good in real life, but maybe not as good for fantasy. And there are players that are great for fantasy, Kamu Grusher Hill, that aren't necessarily good in real life. I mentioned his name specifically just because I was looking through these ADPs and saw his name pop up near these guys and fondly (laughs) remember drafting him as the person that took him in those best ball leagues. Uh, But that's another story for another day. Week Uh, one was pleasant for you with uh, with Kamu Grusher Hill, but beyond that, yeah, not so much. Yeah, um, hey, if only his game log was a roller coaster ride, then we'd be picking up steam. But unfortunately, <laughs> that's not how it works. Hey, I love what you said, though, Evan, because I think it's so true. And the thing, especially when we're talking about defensive linemen, um, I think it's it's even more of a fact that defensive linemen are the one position in IDP that true NFL skill tends to correlate to actual IDP success much more frequently. And then the further you move away from the, the actual line of scrimmage, you see that relevance tend to fade a bit. Not that it removes itself completely, but to your point, when you see people putting up just eye-popping, you know, 92 defense grade, 92.5 pass rush grade, what he's doing out there, like I said, it, it's for real. I mean, he's producing on the field, and that's why these are the guys who are the ones getting paid the most on the defensive side of the ball as well. These these pass rushers, these edge rushers, and yeah, pay attention. It's coming. Yeah. One last thought on Dexter Lawrence. Uh, Aaron Donald, right? Always in the conversation whenever you're talking about defensive tackles in general. Now, while he did change his Twitter bio back to NFL defensive lineman away from former NFL defensive lineman. Uh, his time is coming, right? Just like Tom Brady, he's going to retire any minute now, and we've been saying it for a decade, not for Aaron Donald, but you get, you get my drift. He's going to be done eventually. And I would like you, the listener, to imagine how people will respond to the tight end landscape whenever Travis Kelsey retires. Let's just imagine that this season is Travis Kelsey's last season, or maybe even next season. How do you think people are going to be valuing that next group of tight ends? Now apply that same thought process here to Dexter Lawrence. I firmly believe that Dexter Lawrence is in that next tier of defensive tackles, guys that are young, productive, and have a reliable, predictable future in the league. Now, the group is, you know, the size is debatable and the order is debatable, but the fact that he is in that group is not debatable. And so I think it is important to know that if you're in a league that has defensive tackle requirements, and you would like an edge at that position, Dexter Lawrence could be one of the guys to target there. Let's go ahead and move on to number 18 on the list, Josh Allen, the defensive end from the Jaguars. Now, he had 35 solos, 22 assists, 6 sacks, 11 tackles for a loss, 2 pass breakups, 4 forced fumbles, 2 fumble recoveries, and a fumble return for a touchdown. Now, he had an 84.7 defense grade, an 82.9 run defense grade, 
a 68.8 tackle grade, a 79.9 pass rush grade, and a 58.1 coverage grade. He played 77% of snaps over 17 games and earned 10.08 points per game. Just some strong, strong numbers here from Josh Allen. You know, the, the six sacks, I don't think, give credit to what he uh, truly did out there on the field this year. And, you know, he had a 14.6 pass rush pressure rate, uh, 75 pressures, so eighth most pressures in the NFL this season on 948 snaps. That did leave him at one or 0.181 points per snap, which is a little less than ideal. But again, those sack numbers, uh, not what you would expect based on the amount of pressures he put up. And and something I like to kind of call out or I like to look at for, for people who have played, you know, fantasy football long enough and you hear some of the the talk around, you know, the the trends of statistics, you know, sacks aren't that sticky of a stat, right? Like it's it's hard to see that happen consistently every single year for many, many years or or things of like that. It's the same with touchdowns. Like when you look at wide receivers, you know, a guy can go out there and get 160 targets. Um, and, you know, that's great. He's going to pull in 110 catches and 1,200 yards. But one year he's going to have eight touchdowns, and the next year he's going to have four. And and sometimes you got to try to wade through some of that um, and figure out, you know, what's the opportunity for him. I mean, look at Deontay Johnson this year, right? It was something crazy, one, 130, 140 targets and zero touchdowns. I mean, it's unheard of, but it happens, right? And so in the same way that Josh Allen is doing everything, to win his matchup up front, beat double teams, you know, run the defense the way it's supposed to be, and generate pressures consistently out of that. Well, I like what we're seeing, and I like what we see going forward. Just don't get too scared off because the numbers were a little lower, maybe than what you'd hope to see in terms of IDP production. Yeah, I love to hear that. Now he's got. Wow, he's also also in his fifth year option. I remember writing these contracts out. I wanted to make a note. There are so many guys on this list that were drafted in the first round in 2019 and one person on the list who was drafted later but is also just as good. So many of these guys on their fifth-year contract. It is going to be quite the off-season of defensive line signings. Uh, But he's an unrestricted free agent in 2024. That's how it works. And he's also only 25 years old. Now, Josh Allen was drafted as the 11th defensive lineman, so slightly below where he was drafted, but I'm not too concerned. I think uh, some people were discussing this earlier on the IDP MVP episode. Uh, Some players, you draft them high, and you just need them to hit. You can find some diamonds in the rough later, but if you whiff on a guy that you draft highly, you're in trouble. And the fact that Josh Allen was certainly not a whiff, that's valuable for your team. I also want to point out, he set a single game, at least for this season, a single game uh, tackle record for himself in the wildcard round. Not that that's relevant by any means. I just wanted to point that out. That's not included in the statistics that we have here because we only count the fantasy season, but eight tackles and a sack, go off, Josh Allen. I see you. Maybe the best Josh Allen play in the wild card round this year, what do you think? I, I, I'm with you, and, and yeah, and you, and you love seeing some of that uh, regular season success carry over to the playoffs. That's where some people do check out a bit during uh, you know the the end of the fantasy season, and 
Um, some people are just big nerds like ourselves and, and love looking at numbers and box scores and, and coefficients and all that fun stuff. But it's also nice to catch, you know, what's going on in the field in the playoffs too, because that tends to give us a little bit of a, a trajectory for these players as well, moving into the next season. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm all in on Josh Allen. I think we got a Josh Allen on the offensive side dominating and doing some crazy things. And I think 2023 is going to bring uh, a year where Josh Allen becomes a dominant name on the defensive side of the ball as well. And I, I think what we have here is is very real. Yeah, and hey, barring a catastrophic collapse of the Chiefs team, we could be seeing the Josh Allen Bowl as soon as next week if the Jags and the Bills play each other in the AFC Championship. But you remember that matchup that they had and, and all the I just remember watching like Red Zone and they're like, this is the first time a player with the same name has sacked a player of the same name and then picked off a player of the same name and forced a fumble for a player of the same name. So Josh, Josh Allen, Allen the had a great game. <laughs> yeah, he really did. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Josh Allen, I'm sorry that you have to continually be compared to Josh Allen, but look, it, this is the world that we live in. There's no escaping now. Let's go ahead and move on to the number 17 player on the list, Demarcus Lawrence, the defensive end from the Cowboys. Now, he had 43 solo tackles, 22 assisted tackles, six sacks, nine tackles for a loss, three pass breakups, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and a fumble return for a touchdown. He had a 78.1 defense grade, a 68.2 run defense grade, a a 45.6 tackle grade, sorry, and a 74.6 pass rush grade, as well as a 73.3 coverage grade. Now, he only played 61% of snaps over 17 games, but he earned 10.17 points per game. All right, Jake, let's hear some of your numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Demarcus Lawrence turned out a 13.2% pass rush pressure rate for a total of 55 pressures, best, or good for 27th in the league on 696 snaps, 62nd in the league, and a, and a very strong uh, 0.248 points per snap this year. Uh, this defense as a whole looked really, really good in that front. Obviously, Micah Parsons is the the shining jewel or gem of that of that front pass rush. But, uh, you know, there was other people that stepped up in big ways as well, and Dorrance Armstrong, um, I'm going to murder this name, uh, Ziggy, ooh, uh, boy, yep, see, I already messed it up. But, Evan, you can catch me if you if you got it in your, in your pocket. But all told, that, that front was, was very strong, and I think we see, again, the, the instance here where Strong play across the entirety of that front led to strong IDP production um, for some of those players in that in those roles. Yeah, I have the benefit of having his name in front of me, Osa Odigizua, the defensive tackle for the Cowboys. Uh, hey, that was a valiant effort. If you had to ask <laughs> me to try and list his name off the dome, I don't think I would have gotten anywhere close. So the sounds I, that I, you made resembled the name, I'll give you that. <laughs> You could have just said it wasn't an effort, and I think that would have been more accurate than a valiant one. So, <laughs> Hey, you tried. Um, all right, he's an unrestricted free agent in 2025, and he's 30 years old. So he is going to stick around for the Cowboys for quite a while. Hopefully his contract situation is met with more gratitude down the road than Ezekiel Elliott's contract situation. Um, but that's completely irrelevant to the conversation. 
other than the fact that I just love bringing up the fact that Zeke is overpaid. Sorry, Cowboys fans. It's not personal, I promise. Uh, now, Demarcus Lawrence was drafted as the 26th defensive lineman uh, by average draft position in our best ball leagues. Now, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just his overall performance this year. I, I know you mentioned, right, really strong defensive line. They've got some really solid players there. Is this just a, you know, a rising tide raises all boats situation? Or do you really think that we can expect Demarcus Lawrence to be a consistently productive asset for a couple more years as he ages into his old man strength seasons? Yeah, I I love what Demarcus Lawrence did this year. You know, he came back, he, he battled through a lot of injuries last year, didn't get a chance to really be as IDP relevant as, as you would have hoped then. Um, but what, what we see here, just in terms of the the pass rush pressure rate, it's it's starting to trend, I think, the wrong way for Demarcus Lawrence. And and seeing that and understanding that and you know the snap count kind of trending the way it is for him overall as well, I would be hesitant um to give him strong consideration as a top twenty asset um moving forward. Now, is he still someone that can come in and make some of those splash plays? You know, look he got another he had a fumble return for touchdown this year. I believe last year he had a pick six. Um, so he still has a knack for that. Obviously, he's been around the league for a long time, so he's got his spot, I think, on that team regardless. Um, so he's a good option. I just, it's a real option, but it's one I would have some trepidation about in terms of making him a real option on my roster for next season. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point to make. Let's go ahead and move on to our next guy. Not quite as old as Demarcus Lawrence, and in fact, significantly younger. Number 16 on the list, Aiden Hutchinson, the rookie defensive end from the Lions. He had 34 solo tackles, 18 assists, nine and a half sacks, nine tackles for a loss, three pass breakups, two fumble recoveries, and three interceptions. And this is, of course, during the fantasy season. His whole season was even more surprising if we count that week 18 game. Now he had an 80.7 defense grade, 68.4 run defense grade, a 55.5 tackle grade, a 70.2 pass rush grade, and an 84.7 coverage grade. Sauce Gardner or Aiden Hutchinson? Who would you rather have getting your interceptions? That's a real question. Not really. Now he had 84% snaps played and he earned 10.29 points per game. Jake, let's hear some of those advanced stats real quick. Yeah, so you talked about, yeah, he put up some good numbers there. Really, though, it didn't correlate into a huge, you know, success rate for him. 9.3% pass rush pressure rate for 53 pressures, which, respectable, 32nd overall, but he did do it on 953 snaps, fourth most snaps played by any defensive lineman this season for a 0.184 points per snap. So Aiden Hutchinson definitely came through this year in some, in some positive ways for IDP, and obviously as a rookie as well. Um, you know, he's definitely in those, in those defensive rookie of the year conversations. Uh, but, but volume was a key indicator in what he did here, as well as three interceptions, which is feels very fluky for me for a, <laughs> a, an edge rusher to be, you know, hey, that that's how I made hay, and I, I I got some I got some hesitations uh, going into next year. However, 
I do believe that there's going to be a second-year jump as well for him because we see that a lot with most rookies, uh, especially in, in terms of their analytical and their statistical increase. So I I hesitate to say, you know, maybe some of the big plays ain't there, especially you don't want to count on, count on things like interceptions or fumble recoveries. But they clearly want to use him. They clearly want to make him a focal point of that defense. I think what we have is very real here with Aiden Hutchinson for, for next season and going forward. The question is, is does he turn that into a year two jump? Um, and then we start seeing him more in that 0.25 points per game um, and really, really delivering some top 12 performances. Or does he just become a volume play moving forward? Yeah, that's a good point to make. Now, I think if we were to not count Aiden Hutchinson and find the average age of the other 23 players on this list, it would probably be in the 27 to 28 area. Right? We've got a lot of 25 and 26-year-old guys on their fifth-year option, and then we've got some old farts who are hitting those old man strength ages. And then you've got Aiden Hutchinson. Now, this is, I believe, a unique situation where we see a, a rookie edge rusher immediately show up and show that he is a dominant force. Now, he's not, you know, best of the league yet, but I certainly believe it's possible that he continues to improve and elevate like we tend to see from these defensive linemen as they get more acclimated to the league, right? This guy's a, he's a child. He could barely drink alcohol before he started to have to go against grown men with families and children's who are just trying to provide. And they also are trying to protect the quarterback from you. And they do a very good job at that because they get paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to do that. So all that to say, he's young, he's growing, he's going to get better. And it's hard to buy him considering his name value and how highly his managers probably value him. But if there was ever a situation where you might want to buy high on somebody, I would certainly consider it here simply because of how promising his future in the league looks. Let's go ahead and jump into our next guy, one of them old farts, Cameron Jordan, the defensive end from the Saints. Now he got 40 solo tackles, 26 assisted tackles, eight and a half sacks, 13 tackles for a loss, two pass breakups, and a forced fumble. He got a 74.5 defense grade, an 82 run defense grade, a 51.4 tackle grade, a 53.2 pass rush grade, and an 85.5 coverage grade. He played 74% of snaps over 16 games and earned 11.22 points per game. All right, Jake, let's hear some of those more advanced stats. Absolutely. And I, I got to say, Evan, is, is, is Aiden Hutchinson to Cameron Jordan, is that how you feel here as, as we pass things off? You know, and we go, we're going head to head here a bit that the, the old fart with the, the new young blood. I just, I just got to imagine that's the parallel you're drawing right here, right now. So this is a lose lose situation. I'm not sure how to answer this. <laughs> well, with with no answer for you, I'll I'll take a look at what Cam Jordan did for us this year. Uh, he had a 7.9 percent pass rush pressure rate, uh, one of the lowest, if not the lowest, on everyone we're going to look at this list. Uh, 37 pressures for 69th in the league. Gronk thinks that's nice, um, and 790 snaps, uh, 39th for a very respectable and a very strong, actually, 0.227 points per snap. So if we're to look at this on the surface, looks like Cam Jordan had a strong year for fantasy football, and you'd been happy starting him most of the season. However, 
he did this in a pretty overly efficient fashion um, in a way that does leave me to worry that he's not going to be able to keep doing that, especially with that defense. I don't know what that's going to look like next year. Heck, I don't know what the whole Saints team is going to look like next year at this point in time either. Um, And you talked about it. He's old um, and not in a bad way, just that at some point he's going to hang the cleats up and, you know, coming into a team that has a lot of uncertainty, this might be the time to do it. So love what he did for us in 2022. If he's still around in 2023, I don't think what we have here for this season is real looking into the, into the future. Yeah. Like we said, he's, he's 33 years old and he's an unrestricted free agent in 2024. Now the saints as always have themselves in quite the cap situation. So I'm sure there'll be some const, uh, some contract restructuring for many of these players. Uh, but he was drafted as the 28th defensive lineman in some of these best ball leagues. Obviously, like we said, finished as the 15th. I think, uh, I think Cameron Jordan just fits that mold of the guy that's a good one year rental. Um, you know, because like you said, he's old. He did some things that were a little better than expected. He got lucky on some plays, you know, don't want to take anything away from him. Luck could just be getting to the ball first, but you know, in an unreliable kind of way. But I also think that most managers are in agreement about that. And so if you're in a situation where you could just use, you know, a one year rental on a guy, he could be the guy. Uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about reality sports online on this show. And I think one of the things I, I really love about the show or what I love about the platform is your ability to have contracts for one, two, three, or four years and determining how much money you want to give these guys for how many seasons. The ability to, you know, give them new contracts, to give them extensions and things. And, you know, Cameron Jordan could be a guy that if he, you know, his contract is up on your fantasy platform and he goes into the the free agent auction, I don't think he's the kind of player that most people are going to, you know, put down millions and millions of dollars for on a three or four year deal. He's the kind of guy that you might be able to get, you know, he might slip through the cracks and you might be able to get him for a one year deal for relatively cheap and just have him on your bench as a filler, especially if you're in leagues like we are with deep, deep starting rosters. He could be the guy that, you know, you get him for the games that he, he plays well and, you feel the impact of variance a little bit less in those deeper leagues. And so all that to say, again, you nailed it, Jake. He got pretty efficient on tackles. It's not a sticky stat necessarily. It's a regressible stat. And so the mean in this instance would be down. So it would regress downwards to the mean. And, you know, assuming everything else stays the same, and it rarely does, assuming everything else stays the same, we can probably expect him to do a little worse next season, assuming he's still playing, but that doesn't take away from the upside that he possesses simply being a talented player on the waning years of his NFL career. Let's go ahead and quickly move on to Javon Hargrave. The number 14 player on our list is a defensive tackle from once again, the Eagles. Now he got 37 solo tackles, 23 assisted tackles, 11 sacks, 10 tackles for a loss, two pass breakups, one forced fumble, and two fumble recoveries. Now, he got 78.2 defense grade on PFF, a 48.2 run defense grade on PFF, a 60.7 tackle grade, 
a 90.8 pass rush grade and a 60.7 coverage grade. Now he played 64% of snaps over 17 games for a 10.69 points per game. Jake, I'd love to hear some of those advanced stats from your end. And I think this Javon Hargrave situation is pretty cut and dry. I feel like we can almost copy and paste what we said earlier in this situation, but I'd love to hear what you have to add. Yep, I think you you hit it right there. Uh, the nail on the head, Evan. It's a it's a twelve point six percent pass rush pressure rate. So fifty seven pressures for twenty first overall among defensive linemen, but only seven hundred eleven snaps for fifty ninth overall in terms of defensive linemen for a very very strong point two five six points per snap. So it's that same thing we saw with Brandon Graham earlier, right? He's able to put up strong pressure rate or pressure rates um, and produce the pressures on limited numbers of snaps. So again, we're looking at a very efficient uh, effort overall by another Eagles uh, defensive lineman here. Now, the pass rush efficiency that he showed and and the way he won his matchups and how that correlated into a 90.8 pass rush grade per PFF, that gives me a little bit of more excitement around a Javon Hargrave than a Brandon Graham, Graham looking into 2023. So I'd say there might be something that's a little more real here, but you're right. I mean, it's kind of that copy-paste in terms of that efficiency and a strong front that he was playing with. So not not a whole lot more than that for, for Hargrave. Yeah, and the only thing that I would say that takes away from that is the fact that he is 30 years old and currently an unrestricted free agent. His contract expired at the end of the season. So he was drafted as the 81st defensive lineman in our best ball leagues. And obviously, like we said, all of the Eagles defensive line ate this season. And so it is interesting, right? You have to ask yourself, was that pass rush grade a figment of the situation he was in? Or did he earn that simply by being an incredibly talented player? You, the manager, have to kind of come to your own conclusions about that. I personally, I'm probably leaning on the side that this is more of an Eagles defensive line situation. Um, so I would be interested to see how he performs in his next destination or if the Eagles decide to keep him around. Let's go ahead and move on to another defensive tackle. Again, on a defensive line that we've discussed a couple times as a rising tide with Jonathan Allen, the defensive tackle for the Commanders. Now, this season he earned 44 solo tackles, 21 assisted tackles, seven and a half sacks, 16 tackles for a loss three pass breakups, two forced fumbles, and an interception. He got an 80.1 defense grade, 66.5 run defense grade, a 59.2 tackle grade, an 81.1 pass rush grade, and a 61.5 coverage grade. He played 82% of snaps over 16 games and earned 11.46 points per game. Is this really just another one of those Good player on a good defensive line is really efficient situations, Jake. What do you think? Let's hear some of those stats. Yeah, looking at what Allen did this year with a 9.8% pass rush pressure rate, a little bit lower than what we'd like to see um, from someone who's going to be able to give you consistent sack numbers or or, or trend towards positive sack numbers, I should say. Um, But he was able to get out uh, 47 pressures for 42nd best among defensive linemen on 802 snaps uh, for 35th overall among defensive linemen. But he still gave us 0.229 points per snap. And how did he do that? Well, he lived in the backfield 
um, with plenty of work in terms of 16 tackles for loss, like you talked about. Um, he he was just really, really disruptive and a big playmaker in terms of that run defense. Even though the the PFF grade doesn't reflect elite numbers, what he did in terms of actually making the plays though on the field, he had he had just elite performances in that regard, and that's what's helped me helping prop up that as well as a an interception, which if I remember correctly, it was a deflected pass off of someone else's helmet or something that like shot up straight in the air. <laughs> and it was just like this scrum of big guys trying to grab it. And he pulled that down, which impressive in its own right. But um, so, yeah, for me, I, I love what he does for that defensive line as a whole. I just, I don't know that. I think we're at his ceiling here and I, I love him as a top option for defensive tackles. And I think you'd want to have him, and I would want to have him on my roster as a as a top defensive line option. But I think I think we're seeing the the top of what he can produce right now. So I would hold my expectations there, thinking what we got next year is real. But at, this is its best. Yeah, and there there are a couple situations on that defensive line to be aware of. Obviously, his teammate Deron Payne is an impending free agent, and it's very difficult to imagine that the Washington Commanders can afford to pay all four defensive linemen. And it's also interesting to note, uh, Jonathan Allen, now, this is Botrack saying he has a potential out this season, but he is under contract through 2026. So 2026 is the season when he is no longer under contract. And every year from this point on, technically, they could save more and more money by cutting him. But I don't really imagine that happening because... He's a good player, and they're not desperate for cash. Uh, but he is 28 years old, and he was drafted as the 49th defensive lineman by ADP. I'm noticing kind of a trend here. Some of these guys that are really outperforming their ADPs, especially these defensive tackles, are on teams where the entire defensive line is getting pressure to the quarterback. And when you're getting pressure to the quarterback, somebody's going to get there. Right. If there's one good player on a generally bad defensive line, then an offensive line can shift double team and generally scheme around you specifically. But when an entire defensive line is playing well, it becomes significantly more difficult to protect the quarterback from every single player, which increases the odds of that player getting sacked. Now, it might be a little more difficult to predict who gets the sack, right? If you're, you know, a good player on a bad team. Nobody else is getting to the quarterback and you might be getting double teamed, but you'll, you know, you'll get your wins here and there when it's a bunch of good players on a good team, everybody's going to eat. And while it might be a little difficult to predict when that is, that's all right. He's a good player. Now we're going to take a quick ad break to discuss reality sports online and a couple of other things. And then we'll be right back to talk about the top 12 defensive linemen this season. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Fantasy football offseason is here, which means it's time to kick back, relax, 
and start looking for new Dynasty Leagues. And if you're looking for something new that will truly challenge your skills as a fantasy manager, you need to check out Reality Sports Online. You've heard us talk about RSO on this podcast many times before because it truly is our favorite Dynasty League. And for good reason. RSO takes everything you love about Dynasty Fantasy Football and cranks it up to 11. We're talking multi-year contracts, full IDP, IR and taxi squads, franchise tags, rookie drafts, contract extensions, rookie options, and a whole lot more. There is no instruction manual in an RSO league because each league is its own unique beast. It's just you and your proverbial machete hacking through the jungle trying to find shelter, and it is awesome. You will quickly become obsessed with building a team the way real NFL GMs build teams. Want to spend big on vets and chase a ring? You can! Want to build through the draft and set yourself up for years to come with a surplus of picks and cap space? Go for it! RSO is a blank canvas on which to create your masterpiece. If you want to try it out, we recommend starting with a free mock auction. That's another great feature of RSO, the free agent auction. We think once you get a taste of the unique features this platform offers, you'll be dying to jump into a real league. Once you're ready to start a league or join an existing one, keep listening to this podcast because once the Super Bowl is over, we'll have a promo code to get 10% off your site fee. In the meantime, head over to realitysportsonline.com and check out the mock auction feature. You're going to love it. Thanks again to RSO for sponsoring this episode and for building our favorite Dynasty League platform. Now back to the episode. And we are back to talk about the top 12 defensive linemen for fantasy football this season. And number 12 on the list is Josh Sweat, the defensive end from, once again, the Eagles. This season, he earned 31 solo tackles, 17 assists, 11 sacks, 12 tackles for a loss, one pass breakup, two forced fumbles, an interception, and an interception for a touchdown, probably on the same play. Now, he got an 86.6 defense grade, an 80.5 run defense grade, a 65.4 tackle grade, an 82.1 pass rush grade, and a 55.8 coverage grade. Now, he only played 56% of snaps over 16 games this season, but he earned 11.51 points per game. Jake, what are the similarities between Josh Sweat and the other Eagles defensive linemen that we've already talked about? And is there anything that might stick out in his specific instance? What do you think? Yeah, stop me if you've heard this before. You know, 12.1% pass rusher, pass rush pressure rate there. I I finally messed it up fully. Uh, You know, to give himself 43 pressures, 54th in the league, not super great. But only on 587 snaps, 97th overall, just just sneaking inside the top 100 linemen in terms of snaps played. But he did what that allowed him to do is give us 0.314 points per snap, one of the highest number of points created per snap played among all players um, for defensive linemen and in, in, in IDP football. It, it's it's the same thing. Uh, Josh Sweat I think just sees himself a little bit higher up on the list because he is propped up by. 
an interception uh, return for touchdown. Um, that was that uh, Cowboys game where Dak was rolling out to his left and and Sweat was rolling out with him and just happened to grab a low pass right from him and, and house it. So uh, I think we're seeing the same story repeated for the third time here, and there would probably be a fourth time if Reddick was a defensive end. But his numbers might be a little bit different. We'll have to dig into that at some point. But yeah, I, I don't know that we have a whole lot extra to add here other than it was a great performance as, as that defensive unit as a whole. And as such, they, they delivered across the board. And, and 11 sacks also seems to be the fun number that they like to land on since all three of them uh, did that as well. Yeah, it, it really is the case that every single player on that defensive line ate this season. And really the only thing that stands out for me with Josh Sweat is just the the higher percent of snaps played. Now that is, of course, the nature of the defensive end position um, on this team specifically. There are many teams, those of you guys that are you know a little bit more in the weeds with some of this data analysis, defensive tackles, especially good ones, tend to play more than the defensive ends, uh, but not on this team. Uh, on this team, they rotated their defensive tackles pretty heavily, and so Josh Sweat was able to, again, handle 56% of the snaps. Now, I believe he recently got a new contract because he technically has a potential out in 2024 and he is an unrestricted free agent in 2025. And he's almost 26 years old, so he is pretty young. He was drafted as the 41st defensive lineman in ADP. And again, he outperformed his average draft position simply because he was very, very efficient. So is this real? Is this not real? I'm going to say it It was a part of your imagination. It was a daydream, but it wasn't completely made up. Now, this is more of an ideal situation, and a lot is subject to change going on down the road, depending on how they continue to manage the unit as a whole. Who do they keep around? Who do they let go? But I do think it's safe to believe that Josh Sweat will remain a figment of that defensive line. And if they continue to have good, talented players, he should remain efficient. And because of his higher snap rate, his consistency should be decent. But a lot of the other guys that we'll see on this list here have an even higher percent of snaps played. And so he might not be quite as consistent. But Josh Sweat's a good player, and he's been propped up by a couple of the guys here on the show previously. And so I do think it's important to note that this was not a total fluke, but this was also a probably more of an 80th percentile outcome. Jake, what do you think? Any final thoughts on Josh Sweat? No, I, I think you nailed it. And, and especially if, you know, what they had and what they have with Hassan Reddick, if they see Sweat uh, start to trend even more towards that. Reddick played, you know, upwards of 800 snaps this year. You know, if you can just correlate out, right, like saying, hey, every, <laughs> every 10 snaps, you know, even better than that, he's adding another pressure. Now you're adding another you know, 250 snaps. Now you're talking 25 more pressures. He's sitting around almost 70 pressures. And at the, at the efficiency and rate that he's going at, it's fair to assume that this guy, he could, he could have a ceiling year of 15 sacks or something like that. Um, and that's, that's something you definitely want to have on your roster. If, um, if you can put, make that happen. The question is, like you said, is how do they really handle that situation moving forward? So a real key thing to keep an eye on um nice thing is you know eagles have a a, a strong coaching staff in place probably not going to see any major changes there 
So there's a good chance that he could just continue trending in a positive way there, like you said. Perfect. Let's go ahead and move on to another guy. Josh Raymer, I'm sure, is in love with this player. DeForest Buckner, the defensive tackle for the Colts, had 44 solo tackles, 30 assisted tackles, 8 sacks, 11 tackles for a loss, 3 pass breakups, 2 forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. Now, it is very rare that I see green across the board on somebody's PFF grade, but DeForest Buckner had really, really strong grades in every single category. He had an 82.3 defense grade, a 71.4 run defense grade, a 67.3 tackle grade, a 77.7 pass rush grade, and a 68.8 coverage grade. Now, he played 77% of snaps over 17 games and earned 10.85 points per game. Jake, how did his stronger, more predictive statistics look? Hey, he rounded out really nicely with a 10.8% a pass rush pressure rate. Uh, very consistent, especially as an interior rusher. Uh, giving him 56 pressures uh, and on 874 snaps for a very, very respectable 0.211 points per snap. You know, and, the, and those pressures and snap numbers right in the right in the top 20 range just just a very solid player all around and when i say solid that's probably even an, an understatement right this is this is a great player and what he did in his you know production reflects that especially with the fact that you know 74 combined tackles from the defensive line position is unheard of and when you look at um you know just even solo tackles on pff he was fifth among all defensive linemen there as well. He's he's able to produce consistent numbers in that uh, the tackle game, which you love for a floor. But he's also a, a consistent pass rusher too. He's not giving those elite numbers, you know, where we saw some of those 90, 92 grades, but near eighty, um, a strong pass rush pressure rate. So you know he's doing it consistently. It's not just uh, a fluky year for him. I, I, yeah, he's 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 in the discussion of of top defensive tackles as well as a top tier defensive lineman. Yeah. And I, I feel bad because I'm, I'm sure he's not mentioned enough. There have been a ton of young players that have had breakout years this season, one of which we will discuss next, but man, DeForest Buckner is just consistently great. Now he has a really weird contract situation. According to Spotrack, he has no dead cap in 2023. So the team could cut him at no cost to them. Now, why they would do that, I don't know. Uh, but he is an unrestricted free agent in 2025, and he's almost 29 years old. Now, he was drafted as the 17th defensive lineman, which is no surprise. We all know he's good at football, so the fact that he played well this season is not really a surprise. Let's just move on to our next guy, one of those young players who had an incredibly strong breakout season, Quinnen Williams, the defensive tackle for the Jets. He had 35 solo tackles, 20 assists, 12 sacks, 12 tackles for a loss, four pass breakups, hit a blocked field goal, four forced fumbles, sorry, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. Now he had a 90.1 defense grade on PFF, a 77.1 run defense grade, a 52.5 tackle grade, an 84.1 pass rush grade, and a 67.5 coverage grade. Now, he played 65% of snaps over 16 games and earned 12.06 points per game. 
Jake, how did those other stats look? They look great. And I mean, like you said, Quinton Williams has been on a lot of people's radars. Um, and what he produced in terms of, of some of these numbers, it will tell you exactly why. You know, 12.4% pass rush pressure rate, very, very good. You know, 52 pressures, though, still 34th overall. You'd think, well, that doesn't seem elite at that rate, but he's doing that on only 690 snaps, so 64th overall, um, coming in at a very, very good 0.28 points per snap. So he's giving you one fantasy point for every four snaps he's out on the field. The real question is, in my mind, can we, can we find a way or can this defense find a way to get him on the field more? Or is this something where you know he needs that rotational effort to be able to play at the high level and produce what he has? I'd like to think we could still see more from him yet in terms of just overall time spent on the field while keeping up this elite level of play. But that's what we'll have to look for next year. With that said, I'd be keeping an eye on, on Quinn and Williams. If there's a way you can get him on your roster, you might want to try and figure out how to do that. Absolutely. He's another one of those guys that's currently on his fifth year option. And otherwise he would be an unrestricted free agent in 2024. He's only 25 years old. Now he was drafted as the 44th defensive lineman in our best ball leagues, which is sensible because going into the season, he was really just a young defensive tackle with a lot of potential. And you don't draft those guys super highly in those leagues, but he hit on his potential this season. and. Defensive tackle is one of those positions where like you you do not score points unless you are good because it is very hard to score fantasy points as a defensive tackle. So the fact that he had a great season is not simply a fantasy football luck thing. He he really did have a breakout year. He played incredibly well this season and uh you know maybe he's not going to be talked about quite as often as a Dexter Lawrence for example, but he had a really, really good season. And so, you know, we should assume continued improvement or, you know, at least expect this to be his new floor. And yeah, just hope and see how things look moving forward. There, There's not a lot of intricate thought process that goes into a Quinn and Williams discussion. It's he's a talented player. He's coming into his own. He's young. He could grow even better. But at worst, hey, this season, if this season is a 50th percentile outcome and, you know, we just kind of see things waver around this point for the rest of his career. Hey, I mean, he finished as the 10th defensive lineman. I'm not too upset about that. Let's go ahead and move on to another guy who, man, is talk about a guy that is consistently playing at a high level. You know, sure, my my Steelers fandom may be biasing me a little bit here, but Cameron Hayward, the defensive tackle for the Steelers. Now, he had 39 solo tackles, 35 assisted tackles, 10 and a half sacks, 14 tackles for a loss four pass breakups, a blocked field goal, a forced fumble, and a fumble, fumble recovery. Talk about a guy that's all green on PFF. He had an 89.8 defense grade, a 78.2 run defense grade, a 68.4 tackle grade, a 78.5 pass rush grade, and a 68.4 coverage grade. He played 75% of snaps over all 17 games and earned 11.81 points per game. Jake, how well did Cameron Hayward actually play according to some of your stronger statistics? I, I think PFF nails it for us perfectly here. I mean, 11.6 pass rush pressure rate, uh, 58 pressures for 19th among all D linemen on 801 snaps, 36th overall. 
So he's he's playing strong snap counts and, and strong volume, but he's just he's good. He is just very very good. Um, and that gave us you know point two five one points for snap. So again, in that range where you're talking, all it's taken is four snaps, and this guy's finding a way to add something to your stat sheet or his stat sheet and your in your IDP production. So I. And he's found a way to do this year in, year out. You know, even I think in years past, he's had some down years in terms of sacks. We've talked about those aren't sticky, but the guy just just finds a way to impact the game one way or another. And as you're just reading through his his stats, I'm just that's all I can think of, right? And, uh, and all I can look at is his PFF grade, where everything is like green, dark green, but his overall defense grade rolls up to one of the elite numbers. He just goes out there and gets it done. Um, I. I that's all I can really think of this guy. My only hope is that he wants to stick around with the Steelers organization for one more year. Uh, I'm, I don't have to explain to you that the team, I think, is in a transition phase right now. And does he want to be a part of that? If he does, I, sign me up for another year of Cam Hayward. Amen. I was trying to think of an offensive player comp for Cameron Hayward. Hear me out. I'll throw this one to you. You can tell me how terrible of a comp it is. I'm thinking of a player that's a little on the older side and just just consistently does a great job. Tyler Lockett, what do you think? Gosh, that's pretty good. And I don't know if it's just because me, Cam, and Tyler Lockett are all old folks here <laughs> together and we'll probably be you know, looking at a retirement homes at, at some point. But yeah, I mean, look at Lockett. He's someone who's consistently been inside the top 12, top 15 as wide receivers. No, no one's out there actively chasing him as a as a top ten wide receiver in in ADP startups and, and drafts, and and I feel like Hayward kind of gets that kind of level of respect or consideration as well. I still remember when we did one of the best ball drafts. I got Hayward pretty late in in the in the early portions of it, and even like looking back at it, like Josh Raymer was talking about it, you know, in one of their shows, like how does a guy like this fall that far? Right? It's just. People forget what he is sometimes and how crazy good he can be. Absolutely. I think this might be a slightly souped up version of our other Cameron, Cameron Jordan discussion, which is just, hey, you know, he's older, he's productive, and if you can squeeze one more year out of him, great, you'll be happy. Uh, he has a potential out in his contract this year. He's an unrestricted free agent in 2025, and he's 33 years old. You know, pretty similar situation. I expect the Steelers to do some contract restructuring at some point, especially if he continues to stick around but wants to take a more team-friendly approach. Yeah, there really is no more discussion needed on the subject. Anyone who's played IDP for any amount of time understands what Cam Hayward is, and anybody that's new now also understands what Cam Hayward is. So let's go ahead and move on to a player that everybody knows who he is, and that is the legendary... J.J. Watt, the defensive end from the Cardinals. Now, he had 30 solo tackles, 9 assists, 12.5 sacks, 18 tackles for a loss, 7 pass breakups, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Now, he had a 68.3 defense grade, a 60.8 run defense grade, a 48.4 tackle grade, a 72.8 pass rush grade, and a 64.5 coverage grade. Now, he played 78% of snaps over 16 games for 12.55 points per game. And before I throw it to you, you know, obviously, J.J. Watt retired this offseason. He's done. I don't really expect him to come back. 
he seems like the kind of player who will stick with their word when it comes to retirement, especially because he did it for a reason that seems a little bit more sincere, kind of like an Andrew Luck thing, right? It wasn't just a, I think I'm done. I think I'm washed. This was a, I know I can still play at a high level, but I'm choosing my family and I'm choosing my health and I'm ready to leave this chapter of my life behind. And so I don't really think we need to spend a whole lot of time discussing him because he's not really a relevant asset moving forward. His best days were in the past. He had a decent season, but just for the heck of it, let's break down one last time how this season looked for J.J. Watt. Yeah, and beautifully said, Evan, yeah. So he produced, you know, a 10.7% pass rush pressure rate, giving him 56 pressures, 22nd overall, on 816 snaps, 31st overall, 0.246 points per snap. You know, you look back at his last couple of years, that's not the kind of efficiency he was producing. He had some struggles. Um, you know, he had some bad injuries in there. I, I love seeing him go out in a season like this where he was he was very productive. Like you said, I, I love the fact why why he's choosing to leave. I you know would have loved to have seen him you know be able to get into the playoffs, make a deep run, or heck even be able to play in a Super Bowl. Things like that would have been amazing for a career for JJ Watt. But I no one's going to be able to take away the elite and you know generational type things he did, especially in, in those prime years. You know the the 2013 to 2015. Um, you know I'm I'm a Texans fan. You know I. Plenty of plenty of games where I was like, I don't know what we're going to do at quarterback, but J.J. Watt would find a way to do something on the, the defensive side of the ball. Heck, those, the one year he was coming in and playing tight end even, right, because they, they had to do something else out there. Uh, the, guy, the guy was something else otherworldly. His work, uh, you know, in the hurricane relief, um, all those things. Phenomenal human, phenomenal IDP player. Going to miss him. Yeah. That's all. I'll stop lamenting uh, off my fandom here. That's, it was beautiful. It really was beautiful. Love you, JJ. Appreciate all you guys have done for, for, uh, for IDP. We will continue to support you and your younger brother, TJ Watt. All righty, moving on to our number seven player, Christian Wilkins, the defensive tackle from the Dolphins. Another all-green PFF guy. You'll notice that right at the top of this list. Defensive line is one of those positions in IDP where to get to the top of the list, you truly do need to be a really, really good player. And that's one of the things that I really love about IDP uh, because right in offensive football, almost all the time, those guys that are at the top of the list, they're great football players. In IDP, it depends on the position, right? You get a lot of linebackers that show up at the top of the list and they are not supreme talents. But on the defensive line, those men in the trenches earn every single fantasy point. And Christian Wilkins, my goodness, he had 59 solo tackles, 39 assists, three and a half sacks, 16 tackles for a loss, five pass breakups, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. 82.2 defense grade, 78.9 run defense grade, 68.9 tackle grade, 71.3 pass rush grade, 70.7 coverage grade, 84% of snaps played over 17 games for 12. Point two points per game. I like this note that you put under him. I, I'm excited to hear your argument for this because we just finished talking about this other player. Dude, how did Christian Wilkins play on the more analytical side of things? 
Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's break it down with a number here that's not going to sound very good, and that's 5.1% pass rush pressure rate. Um, so, I mean, that's one out of every 20 pass rush snaps he's actually getting in there and creating pressures. And obviously that comes through with only 30 pressures for 101st overall um, among all defensive linemen. But he was out there, and he was doing work otherwise in, in the pass rush game. Um, taking on 952 snaps for the third most snaps among all defensive linemen and still giving us a very respectable 0.218 points per snap. Um, how did he do it? I mean, those numbers you read, right? I mean, you're talking nearly 100 tackles from a defensive line spot. I mean, outside of your elite, you know, linebacker play, you know, talking about 100 tackles this is a very good year. Now you're getting that from your defensive tackle spot is is unheard of. Just literally unheard of. You do, you do not see this, um, you know. And he still managed to sprinkle in some big plays, some pass breakups, uh, a fumble, a fumble recovery, and a fumble forced, and 16 tackles for loss as well. I mean, I, I I look at Christian Wilkins and what he does to the entire entirety of an NFL game, and we just talked about him and. And throwing some Steeler love your way. Do we have the next Cam Hayward here? I mean, are we looking at a guy you can just plug and play in the middle of a defense and he's going to find a way to be disruptive one way or another, impact an NFL game as well as fill up that stat sheet and, and deliver you that IDP goodness? I, I think we do have that. And I think we got someone who's going to be a plug and play top defensive tackle and not just that, but a top defensive lineman um, moving forward. I couldn't have said it any better myself. He was uh, he was one of the older guys on the defensive line in his draft class. He's on his fifth year option, and he uh, you know because of that would be an unrestricted free agent in 2024 if he's not resigned. But he's 27 years old now. He was drafted as the defensive lineman 53 in ADP around the Quinnen Williams range. Again, part of that tier of defensive tackles that are young and promising, but hadn't quite reached that breakout point yet and obviously he has reached that breakout point i don't think anything else needs to be added he is a very exciting asset let's move on to another guy now i just finished discussing how you need to be all green if you really want to be up at the top of this list but this player might be challenging us for some of that reasoning and i have a potential argument as to why that might be now we've got number six on the list brian burns the defensive end from the panthers he had 34 solo tackles, 29 assists, 12 and a half sacks, 17 tackles for a loss, three pass breakups, and a forced fumble. Now he had a 64.5 defense grade on PFF, a 50.9 run defense grade, a 49.5 tackle grade, a 71.3 pass rush grade, and a 78.3 coverage grade. He played 87% of snaps over 16 games for 13.3 points per game. And so here's my question for you. There may not be an answer. This may be more rhetorical than anything else. But right, we talked about lots of good, talented players on a good defensive line. They eat because it's hard to block everyone. And then there's players like Brian Burns, who are arguably the best player on their defensive line. And I don't think that's a very difficult argument to make. And so. While he didn't have necessarily the best grades, you know, he's lining up with, you know, not the 
best guys around him. And so could this just be, look, he was the best guy there. And so somebody has to get to the quarterback and because nobody else is getting there, I guess it's going to be Brian Burns. Could this maybe be a figment of being in the poopiest division in football this year with some pretty bad offensive lines? I'm looking at his log here. He had a spike week against the Giants in week two, a spike week against the Cardinals in week four, hit a spike week against the Bucks and the Falcons and the Bengals and the Falcons again and the, uh, and the, and the Ravens and the Broncos and the Lions. So, you know, maybe not a whole lot of correlation between in-division games, but man, wh- why was Brian Burns productive this year but not super great on PFF, I wonder. And again, maybe there's not an answer for this, but I'm curious what your thoughts are, Jake. Yeah, I, I think he, you know, he was propped up a bit by volume, but the, the thing that I like to see is that he still had a 13% pass rush pressure rate. So he was finding a way to consistently get into the backfield, you know, whether that's, you know, and I, and I can't say the answer to the question directly. I did not see enough of Panther games to really see how he played as an individual. But, you know, the fact that he still had the 10th most pressures at 68 um, while playing, you know, fourth most snaps at 951 snaps, I think that's kind of what we're looking at. I think, you know, you nailed it. He's, he is talented. I mean, his pass rush grade was still very respectable at 71.3. But there was just really not a lot of other options there. Yatur Gross Matos, uh, you know, was a second round draft capital type player. He really hasn't panned out much for them. You know, he's had moments of, you know, production, but nothing consistent. Uh, Derek Brown, who was a high high draft capital, I believe a first-round draft choice, you know, he's kind of been in that bust conversation as well. So, you know, if you're not able to put a Deron Payne, uh, a Jonathan Allen, you know, Javon Hargrave and, and these other people alongside of you, I, I think you're absolutely right that, this is what we see. We see someone who can deliver really high value, but needs a bit of help in terms of the, the volume to reach some of those higher levels. Now, my question is, do you think we've seen the best of Brian Burns, or do you think there's more to come if they're willing to invest? Are they able to hit somewhere else in terms of defensive line talent? Yeah, Ben, they could really use like a Hassan Reddick type around him. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, could you, you know, imagine Reddick on the panel? It's that Peter Griffin meme, right? Where it's like, <laughs> it could be anything. It could even be a boat. Like, Amazing. I love that meme so much. Um, crazy enough, Brian Burns, again, one of those guys on his fifth year option, might be one of the youngest from that draft class of the position group. He's currently 24 years old. So do we think he can get better? I'm willing to bet that he does. On a simple talent basis, he's still so young. He's still growing. Are we sure he's even finished his growth spurt yet? I'm not sure. He was drafted as the seventh defensive lineman in our best ball leagues. And again, that's counting a couple guys like TJ Watt or Micah Parsons that aren't included in our list here. But he was drafted highly, right? People expected a lot from him. And he didn't necessarily let anyone down. I mean, he had a good year. But I think that just goes to show that people have had high expectations for Brian Burns for a while now. And I expect him to continue to get better. And so while he might not have had the best PFF season, surely there's room for optimism that he continues to grow and continues to be a productive asset 
especially considering how young he is. And you gotta hope. I mean, if he can do this with this defensive line around him, surely at some point the Panthers invest and get some more guys on the defensive line around him. And we'll see how that happens. You know, will that help him be more productive because he'll face less double teams perhaps? And again, I I don't want to say that like a fact. There are statistics out there that show double team rate. I'm not looking at them. I don't know what they are. For all I know, Brian Burns never faced a double team all season. That would be a good thing to look at. I would love to see the the rate of like a double team rate per player based on the quality of their teammates. Um, but enough of that. I think the point here is people value him highly. And so it's obviously, it's hard to determine whether or not you want to buy or sell here. Um, but depending on the manager, it could be a good situation. It's it's He's definitely an exciting asset, right? He finished sixth on this list for a reason. So I'm not sure much more needs to be said, Jake. Do you think anything else really needs to be added? No. Yeah. Nope. Let's go ahead and move on to, to number five, Deron Payne, defensive tackle for the commanders. Once again, another commander showing up on this list. He got 32 solo tackles, 32 assists, 11 and a half sacks, 18 tackles for a loss, five pass breakups, a safety, and a fumble recovery. Talk about PFF grades here. Man, Deron Payne got a 58.4 defense grade, a 43.5 run defense grade, a 29 tackle grade, 72 pass rush grade, and a 54.9 coverage grade. Now he had an 87% snap rate over 17 games for 12.58 points per game. Now, I want to add real quick, he's a, he's a free agent. And based on the chatter that I've heard from people that are a lot smarter than me and a lot more plugged into the league than I am, Deron Payne is going to be a highly sought after defensive tackle. So breaking down some of those stronger statistics, do you think Deron Payne might get overpaid this season? What do you think? I think so. I think he will. Um, The question is ultimately, where is he overpaid at? Um, And if he can do that in Washington, you know, perhaps he and others around him can replicate what they've done. So, you know, looking at his, his efforts, you know, it led to a 9% pass rush pressure rate, a little bit lower than what you'd like to see for, you know, someone you would consider elite. So, you know, only 49 pressures for 36 among all defensive linemen, but propped up by some solid volume in 907 snaps for 10th most in the league. But he still, even as a high volume play, was still giving us 0.236 points per snap. So this wasn't just something where it was all volume, and that was really leading to his his uh, IDP success for him overall. I mean, he he did have a, an, an incredible season. He was all over the field. He was in the backfield. I mean, 18 tackles for loss is is crazy. But the thing that intrigues me the most about what he did this year is is he missed a lot of tackles, and a lot of them were in the backfield as well. So to think if he could have added, you know, another handful of tackles for loss or even another, you know, eight to 10 tackles, because I think he was fifth most missed tackles among all defensive linemen. We could be talking about him much higher on this list here. Not that there's a lot more to go, but, you know, he could be sneaking up towards that top three conversation. And that's crazy to think about from Deron Payne coming into this year, because I didn't have him sniffing anywhere near the top of that. and. I, I just, I, I love what he did. I don't know that I'm bought into him for this same level moving forward, though. He's he's a must-start defensive tackle in, in required leagues. 
he's probably I'm looking at him more as a DL two moving forward outside of this. I, I I don't think what he did this year is repeatable in my opinion. So yeah. I, I have a little hesitation for that. The landing spot's going to be so crucial for him. I mean, what team he ends up on and and how much volume they give him and who his teammates are going to have a significant impact. I, I don't want to get too in the weeds on PFF. There are some PFF haters out there. Um, they, they grade players on a negative two, negative one, zero, positive one, positive two basis on a snap per snap basis. And I don't know how they would have somebody grade Deron Payne for example, missing a tackle in the backfield. Because I imagine, right, if you're Deron Payne, you get through the offensive line and you are just, just missing the running back. Would that be considered a negative play? Or would that be considered a neutral play or a positive play? Like, because you won and you got to the running back, theoretically, and sure you missed a tackle on him, but you were close. And so I'm not sure that there's an answer for this. Uh, but I just wanted to float that out there. Again, I don't even know if that's why he has a negative grade. But uh, I think the point here is, is, yeah, he had a lot of opportunities to make big plays. And, and we'll see how he ends up on his next team. So listeners, really, the, the takeaway here is, was this real? Was this not real? This was real where he was. He was successful with this team. He made some plays. Some of those plays were because he was on a good defensive line, defensive line. And some of those plays were just because he's a good player at times and he's going to get paid a lot of money and we'll see what things look like next season. So perhaps maybe the strategy here is in a dynasty league. If you have Deron Payne, I don't think there's a lot of people out there that are thinking, man, Deron Payne, elite IDP defensive lineman, but let's see, he goes out there and he gets a bag. Maybe you start a narrative. Maybe we start a discussion, you know, we'll see how things look going forward in this off season, but that could certainly be an interesting narrative to watch develop. We've got four guys left. We're going to crank them out and get this episode over with for you guys. And number four on the list is Chris Jones, the defensive tackle for the Chiefs. Number 30, sorry, number 30, 30 solo tackles, very different. 30 solo tackles, 14 assisted tackles, 15 and a half sacks. Wow. 17 tackles for a loss, four pass breakups, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. Man, talk about some good grades. Chris Jones had a 92 defense grade, a 78 run defense grade, a 58 tackle grade, a 92.2 pass rush grade, and a 64 coverage grade. 80% of snaps played over 17 games for 12.75 points per game. want to quickly break down his contract situation so I can throw it to you for closing thoughts, but... Potential out in 2023, unrestricted free agent in 2024. He's 28 years old. He was drafted as a 41st defensive lineman, so outperformed it a little bit. But man, Chris Jones, incredible football player. What did the stats say? Well, the stats tell us that 12.4% pass rush pressure rate, very, very good. 77 pressures, fifth. 915 snaps, eighth. 0.237 points per snap. You said it. The guy is great. I mean, he truly, truly is. The one thing that I saw when digging into it a little bit is you just want to look at, you know, they played him much more so as an interior defender this year versus last year. We saw him line up a bit more um, outside uh, on the edge. And so, you know, he played 61% as an interior defender this year and only 40% last year. And we saw a, a nice sizable jump in his overall production 
um, both in terms of just, you know, the, the pressures as well as, you know, getting home and getting those sacks. And uh, I think the key is there, he is just much more successful as an interior pass rusher. And we just want to see the Chiefs keep on locking him in that way. You know, and now that they got a Karloftis on that roster as well, who showed some some flashes in his rookie year, I think this is the Chris Jones we can expect moving forward. I love it. That's some great feedback. Let's move on to our next guy. Um, listeners, here's the deal. It was real. I don't, <laughs> do we even need to read any of the stats? Miles Garrett, number three, defensive end for the Browns, 37 solos, 23 assists, 16 sacks, 18 tackles for a loss, four pass breakups, two forced fumbles. He had a 92.5 defense grade. Holy smokes. 68.6 run defense grade, 66 tackle grade, 93.5 pass rush grade, and a 75.7 coverage grade. Paid 79% of snaps over 16 games for 14.8 points per game. He got in a car accident this season. That happened this year. That's not relevant. That just... Miles Garrett, I you can't... I'm sorry. Like... Steelers fans in general despise Miles Garrett for the whole helmet thing. I I'm so beyond that. Miles Garrett is an incredible football player. He is deserving of all the awards and accolades. And it's just tricky, right? Being Miles Garrett in a in a in a time when Aaron Donald exists and TJ Watt has great seasons. The man is defensive player of the year caliber. And it's just difficult because there's other guys that are also really good and have great seasons, but Miles Garrett like Jake, I'll, I'll let you do your thing, and I'll let you also confirm how good Miles Garrett is. But he was drafted at the top; he's locked up on a contract, and we should expect him to continue to be great because he's a great player. Let's hear it. And he will. I mean, almost fifteen percent pass rush pressure rate, seventy-three pressures, six overall on eight hundred and sixteen snaps, which is only twenty-seven. So he's still still great volume, but not even top end. But he's he's basically top in all the other statistical categories. So. He's elite. He's efficient. He is someone that you want on your roster. If there's somehow you can make that happen within reason, obviously, you you go ahead and do it. And I <clears throat> I love the point you made because it's it just makes me think like, is this Miles Garrett is is the Scottie Pippen to you know all the other Michael Jordans that are out there where it's like Scottie Pippen was a top fifty all time NBA player, right? And it was honored as such. And people are just like, but, but Michael Jordan. And so I think he can very easily get overshadowed in a, in a sea of greatness that exists right now. But gosh, yeah, he's elite. And that's the long and the short of it. I would love to pretend that I'm too young to understand the Scottie Pippen reference, <laughs> but the Last Dance documentary did not leave that as an option for me. That was a great analogy. I thought that was really good. Yeah. Nothing else needs to be said about Miles Garrett. Everybody knows he's good. Speaking of guys that everybody knows is good, Nick Bosa, defensive end for the 49ers, probable defensive player of the year if the betting lines are predictive at all, which they usually are. 41 solo tackles, 10 assisted tackles, 18 and a half sacks, 19 tackles for a loss, a pass breakup, two forced fumbles, and incredible grades across the board on PFF, 90.9 defense grade, 83 run defense grade, 72.9 tackle grade. 90.7 pass rush grade, 71.3 coverage grade, played 74% of snaps on 16 games, 15.03 points per game. Again, not much needs to be said about him. 
He was drafted highly. He finished highly. He's on his fifth-year option right now. You sure as heck better bet that the 49ers are going to give him a freaking bag this offseason. Jake, what do the stats say about just how well Nick Bosa played this year? Almost a 20% pass rush pressure rate coming in at just under 18. So one out of every five pass rush snaps, he is getting into the backfield, disrupting some way, somehow. And that comes through at 90 pressures, first in the league, on only 745 snaps for 45th. I mean, <coughs> that, 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 that difference is so stark. I just, I just can't fathom how good he is. And that 0. 0.322 points per snap. Every three snaps he's on the field, he is, he's collecting you another point for your fantasy team. I, I'm literally speechless at what he did this year in terms of how efficient he was and how productive he was and why I'm so glad that I had him on some of my championship rosters because, you know what, that's why it was a championship roster because Nick Bosa was on it. Amen. You know what's scary? He might not even be in his prime yet. He's 25. He could only be getting better. That's, yeah. I'm so glad I don't have to be an offensive tackle. That would suck. That would be, that would be like, obviously you get paid billions of dollars, but like, think about jobs where you get paid really well and have to do really difficult things, like working on an oil rig. Like, crazy people work on an oil rig. Crazy people are offensive tackles in the NFL because they have to line up against guys like Nick Bosa. Was that a terrible analogy? Was that insensitive? I hope not. That's I think just, all the people listening on oil rigs will appreciate where you went with that. Because that is, I mean, that's got to be, I, working on an oil rig might be easier. It's probably not. But Nick Bosa is just insane. I, I was going to yeah. say, right, the, you, the chance that you get like seriously injured on an oil rig is higher. But, and I'll, I'll put the butt out there, but sometimes you have to go up against Nick Bosa and surely that has to mean something. Okay. Let's wrap this up with the last guy on this list, the the pride and joy of our beloved John Macri at PFF, <laughs> Pressure King, the MVP, picked by multiple people this season, Triple X, Max freaking Crosby, the defensive end from the Raiders. He had 58 solo tackles, 30 assisted tackles, 12 and a half sacks, 22 tackles for a loss, four pass breakups, four forced fumbles, a blocked field goal, and a fumble recovery. He had a 90.1 defense grade, an 82.5 run defense grade, 48.8 tackle grade, an 83.5 pass rush grade, a 79.0 coverage grade. He got 96% of snaps played in 17 games for 15.91 points per game. Also important to note, Yes, he is 25 years old. He already secured the bag. He's not going anywhere. Uh, man, Max Crosby, what the heck, dude? Tell us a little bit more about the pressure king, will ya? Yeah, 12.5% pass rush pressure rate. So nothing over the top here. But because of that volume, that insane volume that correlated into 81 pressures third overall on 1,082 snaps, the most snaps by the defensive lineman this year. And I'd have to look back, but probably the most snaps we've seen by a defensive lineman in forever. <laughs> and it correlated to a very strong 0.25 points per snap. Just the usage that he got, uh, the fact that he got that big 
I, I have to believe that he is going to be the face of this defense going forward. They've shown they're not afraid to run him out there for almost 1,100 snaps on a season. And he has shown he's not afraid to be out there for 1,100 snaps and give us just mind-blowing stats. Right? We talked about, was it was Christian Wilkins nearing 100 tackles from the defensive line position. You know, Max Crosby was right there, 98, sniffing almost 100 tackles. He had 11 missed tackles, too. I mean, 100 tackles is, was well within his grasp, and I don't – we might be seeing that next year. Uh, and the amount of plays he makes, too, you know, the, the, the tackles for loss, 20-plus, um, pass, pass breakups, and the four force fumbles, too, right? Like, he's in there finding ways to impact the game almost every single down, which is crazy because he's out there for more snaps than anyone else in the league. At, at the defensive line position. So, Macri, I don't know how you pick him, but you, you picked right here. You always seem to. So, love me some Max. Love me some Macri. I, that, that's all I got. Yeah, that's all that really needs to be said. Let's be honest. I, I almost curious. This is more of a rhetorical question. I almost wonder if his pressure rate would be higher if he didn't play so gosh darn many snaps. Because you have to imagine, right, seeing him out there on the field, man, he's gassed. Like, Obviously, he's in great shape. He's an NFL player. He's supposed to be in great shape. But dude gives it his all on every single snap. And sometimes, if, you know, if they're running hurry up or something, like, man, you're freaking gassed. And when you're playing 96% of snaps, 96% of snaps is a lot for any position in the entire league. Like, yeah, sure, maybe barring quarterback. But, like, who cares, right? I'll, we'll give a pass on quarterback. Defensive end has to be one of the... I'm not even going to say it because I'll probably get flamed for saying something not true. I, I'm not going to pretend to know which position is the hardest one, right? Obviously, cornerbacks have to be sprinting full speed all the time. Uh, you know, offensive, offensive tackles have to be on balance and, and basically wrestling dudes. Football's a hard sport. How about that? Max Crosby has to go and play football so much. This is not award-winning analysis. But something needs to be said for just how hard this man works. He earned his bag, incredible story, and he finishes as the defensive end one on this list. Jake, this was a blast. This was yeah. pretty fun. Do we have any closing thoughts? Yeah, we should do it again. We should do, Jake, I think we should do some more shows together in the future. What do you think? I think, I think if, if Josh and the boys are crazy enough to let us, I think we're going to have to do that. I might, I might beg them to let us. I might beg <laughs> them to let us. I mean, here I am. I'm in the virtual sewed shack. That's basically the sewed shack, which is basically close enough to force them to let us to do, let us to do more, uh, more shows together in the future. This was yeah, a blast. I see no fallacies in your logic. So it's, yeah, it's, that's how that works. A, it's a foregone conclusion at this point now. Exactly. Well, this has been a blast, listeners. If you have not yet had a chance to play on Reality Sports Online, please give it a chance. Like, dude, I, I was intimidated going into it my first time about two years ago. And oh my gosh, it is so much fun. I'm still scratching the surface of like what I can do, not because the platform is all that complicated, more so just because I've been busy and haven't like really done a bunch of things with it, I guess. But it is, it is so much fun. It is everything you want in fantasy football plus more fun things. Like when Steve Jobs came out with the iPhone, nobody knew they wanted an iPhone. And then they got an iPhone and it was like, 
How do I live without this? That's RSO. That's that's what I believe RSO is. Jake, would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, I, I I'll say that I'm a an fantasy football player of you know 15 plus years, and you know we talked about this even before the show started. Like my main league now is my RSO league, right? We've been in it for five years. All the people who are in the league are people who've been playing fantasy for 10 plus years. And the only reason that they have the RSO league is because it's different. And every single one of them have come to push this RSO league, our main one, to the top of their list because the experience is so unique. It's so fun. It's so engrossing that you're just, you're finding, you're finding yourself drawn to it more and more with each passing year that you play it. So I will fully state, you know, if you've never done, you know, any sort of contract or dynasty league and you jump into it, it can feel maybe a bit daunting at time, but they do a great job of laying out all the mechanics of everything on the site. Um, you know, it's a small group of guys who have created this platform. When you message them on their, you know, reach out to us page, they respond back directly to your email. They work with you if you have questions to really help you out. So um, I, I, I could I could spew the the love for days here. But I mean, Evan nailed it. it. It's a great experience. It's a f- super fun platform. If you have any questions, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter um, at Jake Colhagen. Um, love to talk to you about all the stuff they have there. I write for them uh, in season as well. So you can check out IDP sit start articles from me there. Um, or if you just want to listen to us, keep checking in here at the IDP show. That was beautiful. Jake, thank you for those closing thoughts. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at IDP Evan. I can't promise that my profile picture will be as wholesome to look at as Jake's is, but I will tell you that we will be back at some point in the future with some more great content. And in the meantime, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the IDP show. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace out.